Father, thank you for <coughs> who you are, that you don't change, that you continue to love us based on who you are, not based upon what we do or our thoughts or our attitudes or actions. Father, help us understand that more. Help us to recognize how it is that we need to do that to others. And as we focus on the renovation of our mind and our thought process, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us and that we would be in a place where we would allow him to do so. Knowing, Father, that your word says we must confess our sins to be in fellowship with you, may we be inclined to do so and motivated to do so that we can study appropriately your word and understand it accurately in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're looking at this idea of conformation versus transformation. And we learned that we're conformed to the world and the world pressures us to match an external image. The word conformation, they means to mold the outside by pressure, to mold the external by pressure. And so the world works to mold us into its fit, its mold that matches what it is and what it wants us to be on the outside. It does not change who we are on the inside. And this is something that's important to note, and we didn't do this with our junior highs, but we'll do it with you. Who you are on the inside after you've accepted Christ your Savior is entirely different than who you are on the inside before you accept Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, there is a list of spiritual blessings that we receive because we are located in Christ. It says, in Christ, we are declared holy and blameless by God. We have a new state of existence, a righteous state of existence, a spiritual state of existence. We are God's children after we accept Christ as our Savior. So internally, we're different than those who have not. Because internally, we have a human spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us as well. And the Holy Spirit indwelling us leads our human spirit. So internally, we're different than those who have not accepted or depend upon Christ to take away their sins. So we have a different makeup. We're made of three parts after salvation instead of just two parts. Body and soul is what we're born with. When we accept Christ our Savior, we are then generated a human spirit by the Holy Spirit who also indwells us. Three parts instead of two. So when the world tries to conform us, it can only mold the outside. It can only make us look like something we're not. It can only make us, children of God, after we accept Christ as our Savior, look like people and children of this world. It cannot destroy who God said and created us to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, the new things have come. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that we have been created with a plan. God has created, we are his workmanship, created in Christ. Again, notice those two words, in Christ, location. Where when we get into Christ, we find that there is a plan for our life that God has set up before even we lived physically. And so we have this different internal nature after we accept Christ as our Savior than what we had before. So the world only can mold children of God externally. The world cannot change us from the inside out. It cannot ruin our nature. It cannot change who God has created us to be as a new creation. But what it can do is cause us not to operate as a child of God, as a new creature that we are. What it can do is cause us to operate under the way we used to think. And so we've identified that at any given moment you're being conformed or transformed. In this moment right now, you're either being conformed to this world or being transformed by the renovation of your thought process. That's the process we're looking at. Here's your mind. I'm going to lay out the four phases of thought. 
So as you perceive information, you start to recognize it. When you start to understand it, that's called comprehension, that's phase two, then you can do something about it and you begin to evaluate it. What we're gonna learn tonight are about these five evaluation filters or filtration systems, I call them. When we evaluate something and determine whether it's got value or give it value, define and design, design, decide, excuse me, how much value we're going to give it, there are factors that, that weigh in. There are things that filter where we get the value for, the, for that information, where we find the benefits from, and different times, different filters play a bigger part. Sometimes it, your emotions may play a bigger factor than your conscience. Sometimes your lust pattern may play a, bi a bigger factor than your viewpoint. So we'll look at those filtration systems tonight, but the evaluation process is what we've realized we have to change. This is the part that must change in us. And the Holy Spirit does the work. He changes how we evaluate, evaluate things. He does that by saying the word of God says this. If we accept it, if we respond to it by depending upon what God's word says, then it changes the way we give value to things in our life. Once we evaluate something and give it value, we then make a choice. We make a determination. This is our ability to choose how we use that information. Store it for later recall. Throw it out in the back uh, shady con or place in our brain that we never look at or bring it up again or use it every day, every second. Different variations in between. Once we decide that we have value for it or that it's got a benefit to us, we place it in our heart, the cardia, right frontal lobe. In your heart, you have your conscience, you have your norms and standards, your viewpoint, and your mentality. Your conscience looks at what you do and sees whether or not what you do matches your standards of right or wrong. Now, keyword there, your standards. You determine, based upon what you give value to, what you think is right or wrong. That's what you do. Your conscience says, this is what you've determined is right or wrong. This is your moral list, your database of morals. And when you do something that violates that standard, that violates your list of right or wrongs, your conscience says, wait a second, that was wrong, and you think it's wrong. And sends an emotional response through the chain. Uh, you end up starting to feel guilty or whatnot, uh, or respond with this total rebellion. I don't care if it was wrong. It's not going to be right in my list of morals. Ultimately, as believers, we want our list of morals to match God's standard of ethics. What, what is actuality right? That's what we want. Norms and standards, it's got your list of morals and your protocols. These are the processes you employ, you utilize, when you're faced with a certain situation. You go through driver's ed, you learn processes, protocols, about how to get that vehicle down the road safely and you th to the, the location you're trying to get to and then back home. So you learn processes and protocols. Those get stored in your brain. And as you develop more time and experience driving, these protocols just start running automatically in the background. You don't always have to think, okay, left turn, put my blinker on. Because you do it so much, so when you come to a left turn, your blinker goes on, you make the turn, you go, wow, I didn't even choose to turn my blinker on. Well, yeah, you did. It was just when you first initially started, you set that protocol up and did it so much that your body says, I know what he wants to do or she wants to do here. He wants to turn left, he wants to turn the blinker on. And you just do it. And that's what makes you autonomously able to just go ahead and talk and change the radio and listen to your friends and sing songs and act like a crazy person when a bee comes in the car and still drive the vehicle. Protocols. Those are important. So morals and protocols, you define those based upon what you determine is valuable in your life. Your viewpoint is the frame of reference from which you look at the world. How do you view the world? 
This is where we brought the cup in. We filled it with water and said, is the cup half full or half empty? The answer we gave was, was neither. It's got liquid in it and it has air in it, so it's all the way full. Different viewpoint. Just because you're presented with two options doesn't mean there's a third. Different viewpoint. If you take a different look at it, you can find a different view. Then we identify the mentality as your mental attitude. If you're constantly annoyed at something, if you're constantly happy about something, it's going to affect how you perceive every other piece of data coming in. Let's look at the filtration systems. Well, let's look at the source of information, I guess. We identified two sources of information, the world system and God. We identified they placed different emphasis, one on physical, one on spiritual. We identified that they established value based upon different criteria. The one we want to point out is the world places value on your personal desire. It establishes value based upon your lust pattern, what you desire yourself. It wants you to do what you want to do. Now, why does the world pressure us, and why do we cooperate with it in doing the things we know are wrong, but we like to do and want to do ourselves? Because we have a lust pattern. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks and define that a little more. Now, the, the revelation from God, or God's information, when we get information from him, he establishes value based on righteousness. It always comes back down to who he is and what's right. And so when we go back to our evaluation system, and we look at that third phase, we have to choose. Are we going to give value to what we're learning or what we're seeing based upon our personal desire or our thought process, or are we going to change and let God give the value and determine the value for us? That's what we've got to choose. That 1 John 4, 1 to 6 identifies for us two spirits working in the world, the spirit of God, which is also known as the spirit of truth. It's the effect that's produced when the Holy Spirit leads a believer who is willing to follow and do God's will in a right relationship with him. The spirit of Antichrist is also known as the spirit of error, and it's the effect produced by Satan and company and all those who are trying to accomplish their objectives on this earth. So you have two spirits working in the world. Now look at your upper right corner of our diagram. It's hard to see because the word omnipotent is up there, but it says two sources of information. One, world system, parentheses, spirit of error. Two, God's word, parentheses, spirit of truth. We only get information from one of those two places at a given time. And that doesn't mean that if you're not reading God's word that you're getting information from the world system. No, if you're in fellowship with God, then you're getting information from him. You're seeing things, and he's telling you, instructing you what's going on in reality. The instant we're out of fellowship with God because of personal sin in our life, then we're operating and getting information from the world system. We're operating from our senses instead of from faith in God. We're letting our senses determine what's actual and real instead of trusting God to determine what's actual and real for us. Now we get to the filtration systems. We're going to look at five. There are more than this, but these are the main ones we want to talk to. More than these, but there are, these are the main ones we want to talk about. These filtration systems function as what we call appreciators in the evaluation phase. So this is phase three, the third phase in the thought process. First is perception, second is comprehension, third is evaluation. An appreciator says, based upon what I can see and how I look at this, and the, the different criteria or factors that I'm judging it by, I think this object or this thought has this value. And so that's what it means to appreciate. It means to give value to something, to identify the value based upon a criteria. Here is the first one, your conscience. Now we identified that the conscience operates and is programmable by your morals. Whatever that moral database list you have in your norms and standards is, will dictate what your conscience says to you and the emotional response you get from your conscience. 
If your morals are violated, you'll have an emotional response that way. If your morals are not violated, then you will have an emotion, emotional response in like manner. But the conscience takes that list of morals and filters what you're perceiving and comprehending based upon your morality, your list of right and wrong. You get presented with the opportunity to steal, and your conscience says, no, you know it's wrong. And you can either choose to listen to your conscience and let it give you the value for that choice you're about to make, or you can say, yeah, I know it's wrong, but I don't care, and ignore your conscience. Two options there. There's a couple different ways to do that, but another filtration system will win, wins out when we choose to ignore the conscience. Your viewpoint is the frame of reference from which you look at everything. Remember we talked about the map when you go to the, a mall, you're trying to find a store you want to go to. If you've never been there before, you look for that star or that arrow that says you are here. That gives you a frame of reference. Now that you know where you're at, you can look at things from where you're at and make that map, mark on that map where you want to go and figure out how to get there. This filters information based on your perspective. If you see the world as always being an ugly place, then your perspective will skew the information you're getting in a way that makes it also ugly. Now, it's a very simplistic example. It's not always that easy to determine our perspective and its effect on our, what we are understanding in our um, evaluation process. But our viewpoint, our frame of reference, fixes and alters the way that we give value to things. If we choose to listen to that more than anything, then it will determine value for us. The third one is the emotion. We didn't list this in our noose or our heart because it's a different part of our body. It's actually the kidneys in the uh, Old Testament and New Testament refers to the emotion. And the kidneys is where we get a response, an adrenal response or a hormonal response from our situation. So if something happens, our conscience says this is right or wrong, and it sends out a signal to the kidneys, and it sends out hormones that say, oh, feel sad about this, feel happy about this, glad, mad, angry, frustrated, whatever. And so that also can become something that gives value to what we're looking at. Now, if we are upset because our sister or brother was picking on us, older siblings, sheesh, then we may see someone at school getting picked on and also be upset. Or so one of our friends may tease us and we may get angry at them and blow up on them, even though they're not the ones that actually caused the initial emotional response in us. Emotions are designed to respond to your situation, not to lead you into action. They're designed to respond to the way your conscience and your viewpoint see your situation. That's the third one that we're looking at. The fourth one is your lust pattern. This one will be the one that speaks the loudest in your filtration process when you are out of fellowship. Your lust pattern is either in the area of ego, self-focus, self-elevation, uh, or in sensuality, the satisfaction of the flesh, and then you look to satisfy a feeling that you desire, or materialism, where you put more value into stuff than people or your feeling. 1 John 2.16 identifies that that is all that is in the world. Pride, sensuality, or materialism. So when the world tries to conform us, it tries to conform us through that lust pattern. One of those is dominant in our life. The other two are the backup singers. They will be a part of our life in various times in different areas, but they won't be the dominant one. 
This is a huge filtration system for us. This speaks the loudest when we are out of fellowship with God. It gives value based upon our personal desire, whether it's pride, sensuality, or materialism. If, our, if the information we have that we're evaluating says that, hey, if you do this, it'll feel great. If you do this, people will see you as the most important person. Or if you do this, you'll have this awesome object that is amazingly cool. And whichever one of those you desire the most, you'll go for that. So it takes that information and says, hey, if you get this, it'll satisfy your flesh, it'll satisfy your pride, it'll satisfy your desire for this stuff. And it becomes a huge filtration system for us. The last one we're going to look at is the mentality. This is your mental attitude. Again, if you're playing sports and you change your mental attitude because you're frustrated that you keep messing up or someone on your team keeps messing up, it will change the way you look at the rest of that game or that match. If you lose your mental focus in sports or even in schoolwork, you will more than likely lose that game or fail in your objective because the mental makes the most difference. You can be the most skilled athlete, but if your mentality, if your mindset in that game is wrong, your skills will not shine. And if you're not the most skilled athlete on the court, you can outthink in your mentality other players. You can actually get their mentality tripped up so they start getting frustrated in what they're trying to do and they start performing less well than they already were. Mentality plays a huge part in how we filter things and it gives value based on our attitude. So each of these filtration systems gives value based on something different. The conscience gives value based on morality, the viewpoint on our perspective, the emotion gives value based on upon our appreciation for what's going on in the situation, the lust pattern gives value based on desire, and the mentality gives value based on attitude. That's all we have time for tonight, but here's the summary. Look at the second little arrow down there. It says filtration systems. That comes in an evaluation. That's where our filtration systems work, in the evaluation process. Now, we said last week and the week before that if we're going to change our thought process and let it be changed, then we have to let God determine what's valuable in our life. Where his word says that something is valuable, we have to agree with it. And if we disagree with it, then we're trusting ourselves in some other capacity through one of those five different filtration systems we looked at. And he has to define that value for us. That's why the Holy Spirit does the work to change us by God's word. But we have to first present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as Paul says in Romans 12.1. So in order for us to change the way we evaluate things, we have to choose not to value them the way we value them, but let God give us the value for that object. If we do that, then he does the transforming work where he changes our thought process. Because he says, okay, this is value. We say, okay, I'm going with that. And then it transfers over to our conscience, our norms and standards, our viewpoint, and our mentality. And then it all filters back in to the point where now he even builds in our filtration systems what he says is right for our conscience, how he says our emotions are operate, how he says we're supposed to look at things, how not to listen to our lust pattern, and how to keep our mental attitude in the right framework so that it doesn't take us out of fellowship with him when we're faced with something we don't like. This is the choice that we have to make every day. Determine how we're going to give value to things. Are we going to let God determine the value for us, or are we going to determine the value for ourselves? One is conformity to the world. One is transformation by God's word and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word and its ability to transform us. Not just in explaining to us this process, but in continually teaching us what is right and what's wrong according to you, what is valuable and what's worthless according to you. Motivate us, Father, to choose what you say, to allow you to dictate to us what's valuable in our life, knowing that you love us and so will always do what's best for us, knowing that you're omniscient and so because you know all things, you will, are not missing any piece of the information and are not caught off guard by any situation that we're faced with or a potential uh, resolution to that situation. May we operate in a fellowship and obedience with you. In Jesus' name, amen.